Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to sit under the sound of your word once again. We ask, O Lord, that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous truth out of your law and that we may apply that truth to our lives in order that you would be glorified and honored and exalted in all that we do and say. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have heard of Wendy Bagwell? Not Wendy. Wendy Bagwell. You've heard of Wendy Bagwell. You heard the snake story? Well, he tells a story about a, uh, he calls it the snake story, and it's on one of their albums. And I, I think they said it sold so many millions of copies uh, of this story. But he said one time he was invited to a little country church. I think he said it was in the hills of Tennessee. And uh, he didn't know why he, it was his band, that is a country gospel band. And he was invited to perform at this church. And uh, when he... When he got up there, he said, well, it was a little tiny church, probably no more than about 25 members. And uh, they got up there, and they started to perform and started to play their music, and everything was fine. And then the, there were people who were doing some funny stuff in the audience and looking behind them. They didn't care what was going on behind them, and they were just there to perform. And all of a sudden, five people came out with five of the biggest rattlesnakes he had ever seen in his life. Three women and two men, and then he had these snakes. And they believed, they took the scripture literally and said, that thou shalt take up the serpent. And so they would have the snakes in these services. And they had these rattlesnakes. And he said, he said later on they told him the biggest one was five feet long. But as far as he was concerned, the biggest one was about 20 feet long. But he said this woman came out and she had this snake. And she was dancing and jumping and doing all this stuff with this snake. And, uh, and all of a sudden she comes up close to him and put the big old ugly thing. In it. That's, the, that's the snake, not the woman. Big old ugly thing in the front of his face. And he said he didn't care what this woman was doing. But he said he had a feeling that this snake knew that this woman was in the faith. He had a feeling that this woman, the, the snake knew that this woman knew what she was doing. And he didn't. But he said after the service, one of the things that dawned on him was when he walked in this church was he saw some pictures hanging on the walls of the church with people in their coffins. And he said he'd never been to a church before with people in their coffins on the wall. So he went up to the pastor. He says, Pastor, I've never been in a church with pictures of people on the wall in their coffins. What's this all about? He said, well, Brother Wendley, this, uh, these are pictures of some of our people who took up the serpent and lost their faith. He says, well, I, <laughs> I believe I'd be right in that number. Tonight we want to talk about a story that Jesus experienced with his disciples. Three of the four gospel writers recount a most interesting event in the lives of Jesus and his disciples. One day they went on a boat. And it was an insightful event about the genuine or the unique function faith should always play or have in the life of a believer. Regardless of whatever circumstances they're going through. It ought to be an integral, integral part of the life of the believer. It is the event of Jesus calming the storm. Remember that story? Jesus came in the storm on a boat on a lake with his disciples. The, the, the event prompts two questions. One asked by Jesus, and then one asked among the disciples. Neither question was answered. Why? Because the answers were so embarrassingly obvious to both Jesus and the disciples. Let's look at that passage. Luke chapter 8. Reading at verse 22 through 25. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. 
So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped. And it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? That he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. One of the first things that we find is obvious about this passage is that faith is misplaced. Now the question is, how could faith be misplaced? Is that really possible? Every single thing that we do day in and day out, we do it as a result of faith, don't we? Don't we? How many of you checked the benches when you came in to see if they would hold you before you sat on them? No one, right? How many of you check your vehicles to find out to go in the hood and check to see if everything was fine before you start the car to see if it'll run? No one. Why? Because we had our faith in that vehicle. We had our faith in these uh, benches or these pews that we sit in. We do everything. So how is it possible to misplace faith? Is it really possible? Especially when we consider the Bible tells us that uh, about the role that faith should have in the life of the believer. Jesus encountered a, a woman one day and he says, It shall be done to you according to your faith. She wanted to be healed. He says, It shall be done to you according to your faith. According to your faith, you will be healed. And then there's another passage uh, in Romans 1.17. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Or we're supposed to, right? What about 2 Corinthians or uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. The just shall live by faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. All of those passages, and there are many, many more passages that talk about the relevancy and the importance of faith in the life of the believer. Yet Jesus encounters his disciples on one occasion when they doesn't seem to have their faith intact. And he says, where is it? Where is it? Let's consider where their faith could possibly have been based on our everyday experience in our own lives. We do a lot of things in our lives that misplace our faith. We, took, we, put, we take our faith from where it ought to be and we put it in the, those things that are more familiar. Those things that we have a little more confidence in on a day-to-day basis. Well, what about these men, these disciples? They had Jesus on the boat with them. And yet, they had put their faith somewhere else. Where was it? Where did they put it? Well, first of all, let's consider the possibility that they put their faith in themselves. They were seasoned fishermen. Jesus said, let's go. And that's probably all these men wanted or, or needed to show off their skills as seasoned seamen, fishermen. Jesus was a land lover. He spent more of his time on the land, and now they had a chance to show off and show their stuff and show Jesus uh, what they were all about as fishermen and uh, on their knowledge of boats and their knowledge of the seas. And so they jumped at the opportunity, and the Bible says they launched out. And one of the Greek words for launched here is lead, or to lead forth, or to lead on. And so they took the opportunity to take the lead in a situation like this. Jesus, get out of the way. Let us do our stuff. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We are so familiar with what we do in our own lives and our skills and all the things that we have accomplished. We don't need Jesus. 
And so they had their faith in themselves. They saw themselves as experienced sailors. What did this land lover know about sailing? I mean, he spent all of his time on the land. What do we need with him? They saw nothing wrong with keeping Jesus in the bottom of the boat, in the bow, or out of the way. Just, just stay out of the way. Just, just, just stay out of the way. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. Let us do our stuff. And sometimes we do that with Jesus. Rather than put our faith in him, we put our faith in ourselves, in our own self-sufficiency. That's what they did. They placed their faith in their own self-sufficiency. And we do the same thing. They're like many today who see nothing wrong with putting Jesus aside, putting him out of the way, so that they can accomplish uh, their own agendas, so that they can do their own thing, so that they can show off their stuff, what they're made of, their experience. After all, they see themselves as pretty good at what they do. Okay, they can get along quite well by themselves. And uh, like Frank Sinatra, they prefer to do it their way. And so they don't need Jesus. And so these men put their faith in their self-sufficiency. They misplace their faith in themselves. Where is your faith tonight? Is it in Jesus? Or have you placed it in something else? Where's your faith? Have you placed it in your own self-sufficiency? You've been doing some things so long that you don't need Jesus. I mean, you've become an expert. You don't need to place your faith in Jesus. You need to put your faith in whatever you're good at. And that's what these men did. They were good at what they did. They were experienced. And so they put their faith in themselves, even though Jesus was right there on board. How many of us do that? But what else could they possibly have put their faith in? What about the boat? I mean, they probably built the boat with their own hands. They knew the boat. The question is, would it really stand the test of time? What exactly did they place their faith in when they placed their faith in the boat? The frail bark of their own abilities to build a boat? The frail work of their own hands, their limited skills? The pitch, the wood, the nails, the, uh, the, the, the fiberglass, or whatever they had to build a boat with? But would it hold together when troubles and trials of storms come? Would it really stand the test of time? They had placed their faith in the boat which they were, of which they were the designers, the architects, and the builders. And their faith was in that particular boat to weather whatever storms that would come up on the lake when they used that boat. How foolish. Yet... There are many people today who do the same thing. They misplace their faith in the frail boat of life. Probably is the boat of college degrees. Nothing wrong with degrees. But you need faith in Jesus to be able to use those degrees not only for your benefit, but for his glory. Isn't that so? There are many people who have gone off and got tons of degrees and come out and can't get a job. All they got are degrees. And they can't find work. Why? Because they place all of their faith in those degrees and not in the one who is able to orchestrate how those degrees can be used. What about the fail both of career choices? They have ambitions to be certain things and they get that ambition fulfilled and they put all of their faith in that choice that they've made. And one day the boss comes and gives them a pink slip. What happened to the faith? If they had put that faith in Jesus... He would have secured that job, wouldn't he? If it's the job that he wanted you to have. And so many people put their faith in the frail boat 
of career choices. And what about the frail boat of business ownership? It's good to have a business. But if you have not committed it to Jesus Christ and it fails, then what are you going to do? Well, we'll see what we do, what these disciples did. The boat of investment and finances until the stock market crashes. The career of politics, political ambitions. And then you want to excel in that field and, and then you need to make compromises in your Christian life in order to go anywhere. Why? Because you put your faith in that political ambition rather than in Jesus Christ to be God's man in the place that he wants you to serve and glorify him. And so we put our faith, like these men, we put our faith in a whole lot of things that doesn't, it may do us some good, but it doesn't glorify God. And what is our purpose on earth? Is to glorify him, the one who gives us what we have, the one who, who is responsible for us living and moving and having our being. These men misplaced their faith in something that could very easily fail them. Well, they knew that. They knew that. But they had more confidence in the things of their own hands than they did in this carpenter who didn't know anything about sailing in boats. And many times we think Jesus don't know about a lot of stuff about what we're into and what we're doing. And so we put our faith in things. Where is your faith? What boat have you placed your faith in this evening? Will it stand the test of time when the storms come? Will it hold up? Will the frail work of your hands hold up and keep the boat together that you have built? But then what else could these men have possibly put their faith in? They put their faith in their self-sufficiency, their skills and experience as able seamen, in the boat that they probably built, designed, and crafted with their own hands and knew uh, because of the many years they'd sailed and the storms and the weather they'd gone through and how the boat had held up. But what about the water? They had faith in that water too. They knew the characteristics of the lake. They had sailed that lake many, many times. The calm, peaceful waters of the lake was the main thing that they had placed their faith in. Because as seamen, if the weather wasn't right, the water wasn't right, and if the water wasn't right, they couldn't sail. So they knew. They knew to look at the water. They knew the conditions. And that's what they placed their faith in. It wasn't in Jesus. So why would they want to put their faith in the carpenter if they knew the water? They had seen many, many days like this one. The water was just right for sailing, man. It was, it was good. The water was their friend. It had taken them to many, many places. But what they really didn't think of, that they really knew, was how deceptive the water could really be. And many times, just like these men, as long as we sail along smoothly on the quiet, attentive waters of life, we feel that we have nothing to worry about, right? Isn't that so? The waters are smooth, it's calm, it's collective. Uh, we put our faith in deceptive uh, waters of job security. Isn't that what we do? It could be deceptive. The, the, the instability of relationships. Those waters can be deceptive too. These men misplaced their faith in the waters of a lake that they knew very well. But would it stand the test of time when troubles come? Where is your faith? Where have you put it? What waters have you placed your faith in? That when the storms come, you're going to be like these men. These disciples were handpicked by Jesus under much prayer for consideration with the Father. And so these were chosen men, just like us. 
He chose us from the foundation of the world. But these men, even though they were chosen to be his followers, to carry on his work, his ministry, yet they, they appear to have made a conscious decision to place their faith in themselves, in a boat made with their own hands, and in the water of a lake. They seemed content to keep Jesus out of the way, the bottom of the boat, while they were doing their own thing. Does it sound familiar? Jesus still has followers like that today. His chosen ones misplace their faith because they have their own agendas. They have made up the plans for their lives and they know what they want to do. And they have determined that Jesus can't tell them anything about what they want to do. So they don't need to put their faith in Jesus. They're going to put their faith in their own agendas. Because they choose to walk by sight rather than by faith. Because they fail to understand that the just is supposed to live by faith. Because they forget that without faith, it is virtually impossible to please God. But yet still, they put their faith in that which they are most familiar and comfortable with, rather than in Jesus. But no matter what, one thing is always certain. Faith is going to be tested, right? It's going to be tested. No matter what you do, no matter how many well-laid plans you have, if you put your faith, you misplace your faith and put it in the wrong thing, that faith is going to be tested sooner or later. And that was the case with these men. Verse 25 says, uh, they were sailing along and everything was fine. Or verse 23, they were, their faith was tested by what it was misplaced in. As sure as the nose is on your face, your faith is going to be tested. Anybody any, ain't sure about that? Faith is going to be tested. As they were sailing along, Jesus fell asleep. The implication is that everything was so going so well, so fine, that Jesus could fall asleep. Now, Jesus had had a long ministry just prior to this. From going back to chapter 7 on, you see that Jesus is very, very active. So he could have been very, very tired. He wanted to get away and go uh, somewhere out of the way. And he didn't want to walk, so he went on the boat. So you could say, well, Jesus fell asleep because he was tired. Well, you could also say that Jesus fell asleep because they shoved him in a corner of the boat because they didn't want him to get in their way. Just like we do in our own lives. We put him out of the way. Well, Jesus fell asleep. An indication that everything was smooth sailing. Everything was going fine. Everything was going well. So well that he could fall asleep. And these men were probably quite proud. They probably exhibited a degree of pride about their accomplishments up to this point. And how they just, oh yeah, we showed that land lover. We showed that carpenter what we, what we made of. They were quite happy. They were quite proud with their accomplishments. And isn't that the way it begins? We misplace our faith. And it doesn't seem to matter. Everything seems to be going just fine. And that's how deceptive things can be. But what are we going to do when the winds, when the storm winds start blowing? And they just start real subtly. And then they pick up. What are we going to do? Because we know quite well from experience that life is not always smooth sailing. Is it? It's not. Someone once said, It's easy enough to be happy when the world goes by with a song. But the one who is worthwhile is the one who can smile when everything goes dead wrong. Can you smile when everything goes dead wrong? Or are you like these men? For the disciples, everything was fine until the winds started blowing. They didn't become too much of a alarm because 
They had seen this before. But we read that a fierce gale of wind ascended on the lake. And even though they had experienced storms before on this lake, it didn't take them too long to realize that this one was different. This one was not quite like the ones we experienced before. There was something different about this storm. These winds are, are quite different. The next thing uh, we read is that they began to be swamped and to be in danger. So what do they do? They realize that, hey, this is different, man. Something's going on here. The, boat, the water never came in the boat like this before. The boat never rocked like this before. The boat never tilted like this before. Something is wrong. And they realize that where they had placed their faith was beginning to fail them. The experience was not enough. And so what do they do? What most of us do when we get in trouble after we do our own thing, we go our own way, we get in trouble, we all are, oh Lord, we only find God when it is beyond our control. Before that, hey, leave me alone, let me do my own thing. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now Jesus, I believe he needed his sleep. He needed his rest. But they woke him up. And probably that's why he was probably so upset. You know when people wake you up and you're having a nice sweet sleep? You get angry, right? Well, Jesus was human just like us. And you imagine the rocking of the boat and the rolling of the boat. And, and he probably wasn't like me who gets seasick. As soon as you step on the boat, you get seasick. I went to, to, to um, where it was? Oh, uh, where it was? I think it was Manawaki. And this brother in the assembly said, let me take you fishing. I said, sure. We jump on the boat and we went out there a couple of miles out and we sitting out there in the boat and the boat started to rock and I said, you need to carry me back. I started to get seasick. I couldn't take that, but Jesus can handle it. Jesus could handle it and he was probably in a nice sweet sleep, getting a lot of rest from all the work that he had done and preparing for the people on the other side of the line. That other side that he was going to was not as inhabited as the side that he was coming from. So he needed his rest. So Jesus gets up, Master, we are perishing, we are perishing. The very thing that they trusted in the most was the first thing to let them down. The water. The beautiful water of the lake. It was once their friend. It took them to where they wanted to go. But now it was an awesome enemy. How do we know? They said, we are perishing. That same water that was so much of a friend was now coming into the boat. And what happens when a boat gets filled with a lot of water? It sinks, right? And what happens when we swallow too much water? We drown, right? Well, these men, these seasoned sailors, were fearing that they were going to die. They were literally going to die. And so they came to Jesus, and they woke him up. Their faith misplaced in the water failed them. There'll be problems on the waters of life that we will encounter that will test our faith like these, like these men experience. The very thing that we trust the most, the very thing that we think that is the most reliable asset to us will eventually turn out to be our most vulnerable liability. That's what these men experience. Master, we are perishing. This water is going to drown us. Water was, that our, was once our friend. Master, we are perishing. The combined experience of all of these men, all the experience that they had amassed over the years as fishermen, seasoned sailors, was not enough to confront this particular storm. Why? Because they had 
put their faith in the wrong place. It wasn't enough to confront the storm. It wasn't enough to even calm their fears. It's been said that great men have been broken at their strongest point. And that's what these men were experiencing. They thought they could handle anything. And isn't that the way we are sometimes? We think we can handle it. We put our faith here and we put our faith there instead of putting it where it ought to be. And the test comes and we realize that we're not what we thought we were. Such were the case with these men. It's been said that it may, it, it, it may be the strongest who will become the worst crippled. It is the strongest moral person who could become the most immoral person. So whatever you put your faith in that you think is your strongest point, watch out. If it's not in Jesus, you're going to have problems. They misplaced their faith in their self-sufficiency and it failed them. We often say the devil uh, always hits us at our weaker spot. Is that true? Is that true? Is it really? Many times the devil will hit us at the strength in our self-sufficiency. That's where he would hit us. Because you see, you see, he knows that that's where it really counts. When you're relying on everything that you've got, your whole arsenal, that's where he hits you. And that's where all of your faith is. And it fails. Master, we are perishing, they say. That trusty boat that they built with their own hands, that they spent so much hours on and put all their labors and, and experience and toil in, it was now failing them. It was their sense of security. And how many times we do the same thing? They misplace in their, their faith in their boat and the boat failed them. How much of your faith have you placed in the boats of your life? And how will they hold up when the storm comes? The very thing that we create and depend on as our security most will be the first thing to let us down. The very first thing. I had a friend uh, one time when we were involved in a lot of ministry together. And uh, we had similar interests. And uh, we met while we were both involved in banking. He worked for one bank. I worked for the other one. We met at the Clarion Banks Association that we met at regularly. And we got to know each other and uh, found out that we had a lot of things in common. And so we were involved in youth ministry and a boys club and, min and missions and all kinds of stuff. And we spent a lot of time talking about ministry and, and a lot of stuff. And sometimes it went into the wee hours of the morning. And one time we had, a, we had one of those evenings. And uh, we had a van that we used for our, our ministry meeting, one of our ministry meetings. And the van had a problem. It was an old van. And so old things are problems, right? That's why you don't put your faith in them. Anyway, we had this, this van had a problem, and there was a little plug underneath that often slipped out when, when you drive on these bad roads. The plug came out, and uh, by driving it often on and, and, and seeing what the problem is, we found out, oh, if it doesn't start, just go underneath, stick this little plug in, and it works. All right, so I became an expert on that. All right, and whenever the van didn't start, no problem, I can fix that. Slide underneath, there's the wire hanging, it's loose, plug it in, jump back in, turn the key, van starts, off we go. But on this particular night at about... Probably 1 a.m. in the morning. That's how long that we spent. We just spent out. We go on and on and on. We never watch the clock. And uh, the van wouldn't start. And so, I, hey, no problem, man. I can fix that. Go underneath. Sure enough, plug us on, plugged it in. Jump back in, turn the key. Nothing. Whoa, that's supposed to work. My faith is in that van. And it was supposed to work. It wasn't supposed to not work. 
So now we were in a quandary. Didn't know what it was. I said, that worked, man. That worked. That always worked. And dummies like us, we're under the van with a candle. Boy, that's dangerous. Don't ever try that. Police car came down the road, patrolling the neighborhood. They stopped. Everything okay? Macho guys, they don't, never, no, they don't ever need help. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Okay. Have a nice evening. They go on. We tried everything. That van wouldn't start. Then we remembered, you know what? God could start this van. And if you had come there and you had seen the two of us with that hood open and our heads bowed, praying in that hood, you would think we were crazy. But that's what we did. We finally found out that we had put our faith in the wrong thing. We got in the van, and here's the difference. We opened that hood. We leaned over that hood. We bowed our heads. We said, Lord, this van needs to be fixed. I need to go home. My friend is home. We're in front of his house. I need to go home, Lord. You need to fix this van. You need to make this start. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Slam the hood down. See you later, Jeff. Jump in the van, turn the key, it starts, and go home. What had happened? I had put my faith in the van and not in Jesus to make the van work. And I can tell you story after story of how Jesus has worked because faith had been placed in him and not in something else. We need to put our faith in the right place because it's going to be tested. And many times it's going to be tested by various things. In the case of these men, first of all, their faith was tested by God himself. Now James tells us that God doesn't tempt us. The devil tempts us. God tests us. And he tests us, especially with regards to our faith, to make sure that we are doing as the scripture says. As righteous people, we are living by faith. We are walking by faith and not by sight. And as a result, we are pleasing him. God always wants us to please him. So he's going to make sure, test our faith to ensure that that's what we're doing. And many times he catches us off guard because we've taken our faith and we've put it in something else. And so they're tested by God. The lake called the Sea of Galilee is located about 700 feet uh, below sea level. Surrounded by hills, the steep set of hills on the eastern side allows cool winds to shoot through the gaps in the hills and clash with the warm weather over them, resulting in what many or any meteorologists would describe as dangerous weather conditions, or what we might consider hurricane force winds, or hurricane conditions, or tropical storm conditions. And so the Sea of Galilee was known for Yucking up, they say, these sudden storms. They came out of nowhere. These men were experienced. They knew that. But this one, this was one like they had never seen before. The sovereign God, knowing that these men had put their faith in the wrong place, orchestrated the severity of the storm just to let them know that I'm keeping tabs on you. I'm keeping tabs on what you're doing with your faith. And he does the same thing with us. Where is your faith tonight? What have you placed it in? These men had seen many storms before as they sailed this lake, but this one took their breath away. Only God could have done something like this. And they came to that realization real quick. Their pride tempted them to show off their stuff because Jesus was on board. You know what we like to show off sometimes? We like to show off and show people what we have made of and all that stuff. And we, sometimes we make the mistake of doing it with the wrong person. And they did. They did it with Jesus. And it didn't work out. Jesus, when he was awoken by these men out of his sweet sleep, 
We looked at them. First of all, he says, let me, let me, let me, first things first. The Bible says he rebuked the storm. In other words, he said to the weather conditions, behave yourself. You know who's on this boat? Behave yourself. Calm down. And guess what? It obeyed him. It stopped. The Bible says there was a calm. It was so calm that this perplexed these men. They'd never seen anything like this before. And then Jesus turned and said, now your turn. He rebuked the winds and the storm. And then he turned around and he rebuked the men. Reminds me one time I was driving in um, the Fort Hill. Going to Sister Carol's school. I went to Sister Carol's school one time to drop off some kids from the ALC. And how many of you know that's a one-way street? Everybody but me. Damn me. I did not realize it was a one-way street. I drove up through there, and one of my staff is behind me, a guy from Switzerland. He had more sense than me. We drove up through there. We dropped off the kids, and we turned around. I'm coming back. Now, I saw the police officer on the corner when I was going up. Didn't take, pay any attention to him. Going up, and I'm coming back down, and he is in the rearview mirror, and he's waving to me. And I didn't pay any attention to him. He realized that what the police was there for. I came back down. The police pulled me over, and he says, uh, Walk down on the corner there. So I walked down on the corner. Hello? There was a sign with just an arrow pointing. Now, I wasn't used to seeing that kind of sign for one-way street. I'm used to seeing a sign with an arrow that says one way, two words. That's what I'm used to seeing. See, when these new stuff come in, they confuse people. All right? So I went back to the police officer and I said, Man, look, that's just an arrow, man. He ain't nothing on that. It doesn't say one way. And by this time, he had another fella standing up there, and he's writing. <laughs> he's writing up his tickets, you know? And he's happy. He's smiling. And then when he finished writing this fella, he looked at me and said, now your turn. And he writes me up, and he gives me a ticket. And when I think about Jesus and rebuking the storm, I think about that story. Jesus rebuked the storm, and he turns around, and he just says, now your turn. Where is your faith? He knows that they had faith. They had seen Jesus do a lot of miracles. They had been with him when he, when he healed the sick and he raised the dead and he made the, uh, all the, the, the fish and the loaves and fed all those people, those thousands of people. They had seen all these miracles that Jesus... It took faith to believe that stuff. It really took faith in Jesus to believe that. They had seen all of that. And they get in a situation like this and they panic. And Jesus is on board. Jesus, where is your faith? No, the issue is not whether they had it. He knew they had faith. Where was it? Where had they placed that faith that he knew they had? That faith was tested by God himself. God is going to test your faith. Be careful where you put it. Make sure that it is in him and not in something else that you depend on because of familiarity. The prophet Amos said, prepare to meet thy God. These disciples had an encounter with God that day because they put their faith in the wrong place. And God called them to accountability. What's going to happen when he calls you to accountability for what you have done with your faith? Have you placed it in me or have you placed it in someone else or something else? When it comes to living by faith, you and I can count on such an encounter with God. God came face to face with these men in a violent storm because of the misplace of their faith. Like them, many today are content to put Jesus out of the way. But not only were they, con were they tested by God himself, but we find that they were also tested by death. 
And this is the ultimate test that we will all have to face at one time or another. Life is beautiful and is wonderful, but at the end of it, there is death. It doesn't matter who you are or how good you've been or what you've done in, in terms of accomplishments, your goodness or your philosophy of life. We will all face the ultimate test of our faith. These men came to the point of the test of faith when they actually thought that they were going to die. That's how bad it was. And one day you and I are going to go and we're going to look into the face of death. And how we face it will be determined by what we have placed our faith in. If we have not placed our faith during whatever circumstance that brings death to our door. If we have not placed our faith in God, it's going to be a terrible experience. You will not be able to have comfort in the words of Psalm 23. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I fear no evil. Because your faith would have not been in the shepherd. It would be in something else. These disciples came to the point where they thought that they would, that day had come. They were afraid they were going to master we are perishing, they said. Their faith misplaced was tested by the ultimate test, the test of death itself. And that's what... That's what brought them to the point of restoring their faith. They realized they had to come that close to death to realize, you know what, guys? I think our, our faith is in the wrong place. We need to regroup. They made the right decision. The ultimate test brought them to put their faith in Jesus. Notice when it was restored, while there was still time, at the right time. They didn't wait until... They were half dead from drowning. They didn't wait until they were lapsing into unconsciousness and became, becoming delirious and seeing visions and all that stuff. They came at the right time when they were still sane enough to know what they were doing and what they needed to do. But notice, when they had seen what they had seen to bring them to that point, Jesus rebuking the storms and the waves and, and the calm that came afterwards, they looked at one another and they said, Well, Mudo, who this fella is? Who is this man? They thought they knew Jesus. Now, this tells us what happens when we do not place our faith in Jesus. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus, the things that he does is not going to surprise us when he does them. Now, they had seen Jesus do a lot of stuff. But it had not yet dawned on them that this carpenter that they had on the boat, that they pushed out of the way, that they didn't put their faith in, was the man who actually controlled the elements. He was the one that made the water. They didn't realize that until now. Who is this man? After witnessing how Jesus commanded the elements to behave and calm down, it finally dawned on them that the carpenter on board was the one who actually made the water. He was the one that did control the storm. Where is your faith tonight? What have you done with it? Where have you placed it? Is it in Jesus or have you placed it in something else? So what do we get from this? How do we apply this situation with these men, what they learned, what their encounter with Jesus, what the misplace of their faith, how do we apply this to our life? What do we do? Well, when we place our faith in Jesus alone on a daily basis, and the key word is daily basis, because sometimes we could be flippant, aren't we? You know, we up today, we down tomorrow. You know, we ebb and flow. 
But this can work for us. When we place our faith in Jesus alone on a daily basis, we automatically prepare ourselves for any storm which will come into our lives. Any storm, regardless of how severe that storm may be, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's a, it's a terminal illness, whether it's a financial reversal, a loss of job, whatever it is. Once we place our faith in Jesus, not Jesus and something else, Jesus alone, we are automatically prepared for any storm that will come into our lives. I was talking with a fellow one day, and he was telling me about his problems and all he's going through. I said, you know, if I tell you the problems that I'm having, you'll burst out in tears. But the difference is when we place our faith in Jesus, we are automatically prepared for whatever comes our way. Now, are you willing to do that? Or is that too hard? Not only that, but as a result, we will never have to face the embarrassing question of where is your faith? Never, ever. Sometimes we find ourselves in encountering situations and that comes to mind because Jesus is asking you, where's your faith, man? How long have you known me? You've been saved 20 years, 15 years, 30 years. What are some of the things that I've done in your life? We need to go back to the words of the hymn writer. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has. Let's say that together. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Sometimes you need to do that. Then you begin to realize what Jesus is capable of doing when we place our faith in him. Finally, because our faith is only in Jesus, we realize what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Because our faith is only in Jesus, who is able to do more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, but get this, according to the power that works in us. See that? We will never have to ask of Jesus the embarrassing question, who is this man? In other words, there ought to be no experience that Jesus brings about in our life that we find ourselves in the situation that these disciples were in because of a misappropriation of their faith. We should never be asked the question, where is their faith? And we should never be in a position where we ask the question of Jesus, who is this man? That's how we apply the lessons from this experience that these disciples encountered. Question is, are we willing to do that? Let's bow. Prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you teach us so many lessons, and sometimes we miss them. A lesson so simple about where our faith ought to be. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we ponder this story tonight that we've probably read many times, that we may look at where we are in terms of where we have placed our faith. May we never ever be encountered with that question because of misplaced faith. May we never face the question of where is your faith? And as a result, never have to ponder who is this man because of what you have done. We thank you, Lord, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think 
according to the power that worketh in us. May this be a truth that is realized in our lives as we apply the lessons learned, not just as a collective body here this evening, but as individuals whom you've spoken to one-on-one -on -one with regards to our own particular situations and circumstances regarding our faith and what we have done with it. Get glory this evening as we respond receptively to your directives and your guidance. For we ask it in Christ's name and all God's people say, Amen.